All right. This so is, are you going to ask me questions? I am going to ask you questions. This right, is cool. Dungeon Master Eddie coming uh, to you with episode four of the Exodus of Magic gaming podcast. I'm here with my friend Dale, and we're going to talk about uh, gaming and life. This is more of a meta discussion around um, how life impacts and affects your gaming and how things go from there. Um, for example, Dale and I were playing in a campaign back in 2006 uh, that ran for a while, and eventually, after a couple years, his kids got old enough that he transitioned from gamer to licensed taxi driver for two young children, and yeah. then event coordinator and everything else that goes in with this. Uh, Dale was the barbarian involved in the discussion of the party from last session, who uh, very famously, uh, when we started that session, came in and when, when they asked what happened and everybody started laughing, he's the one who turned to Drew and said, what the hell did you do? <laughs> yeah. So, so welcome. Thank you. Glad to, glad to have you here. It's been a while since I've seen you. I'm really, really happy that uh, you got to come yeah. by. And I'm really happy for the theory that you might get to come back to the gaming table soon because the kids have finally, in theory, aged out of the house and are going off to their own Pretty soon. About, about two years and I'll have an empty nest. So. And then now all we have to contend with is what the wife thinks about that. But that's yeah, different sorry. battles, right? Yes. Different battles. So, uh, welcome. So, let's start by talking about your your first introduction to, to tabletop gaming. Dungeons and Dragons or even fantasy board games, things like that. When do you remember first sitting down and playing anything like this? So, my first experience um, was with my friend Jason. I... I slept over at his house. Uh, we were really good friends growing up in high school. And uh, he had an older cousin who was 18 who ran a session in his basement. And um, it was just family members. And so he, the session was coming up and he's like, well, you know, dude, you can stay overnight, but tonight is our session. So you want to you wanna watch? You want to come see it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll sit and watch. So... Went over to this guy's house and, and we sat there at a pool table, and you know watched them watch them play. And um, the next time he had a session, he's asked if I wanted to play, and I said sure. So I was probably 16, 17 years old at the time, and I got to roll up a character, and I thought this was just the coolest thing that I got a character and a miniature that went along with it, and uh, just loved it from that point. And and then we graduated high school and kind of went our separate ways to college, and then I. I stopped until one day I, I saw an ad to play magic at a store and met you. <laughs> that was the next time. <laughs> then, you know, we, we started playing magic and then it went into D&D &D and, you know, that that was the next time I got to play. When I think about that and where we, we started, because we didn't start with the campaign that I ran. Because I was, well, you talk about playing at the pool table. We had the game that... Uh, uh, Pond, who was another person who was at the table for a lot of shenanigans, um, was originally running, and then he couldn't because, once again, life life gets in the way, which is, is going to be a recurring theme. And then <clears throat> Tony took over mm -hmm. because Tony brought the girl that he was puppying on, who was happily using him for transportation, attention, and everything else, and he brought her to the table, which led to the... Uh, honest to God, it was the weirdest session of D&D &D I'd ever played in my life. 
that ultimately yeah. ended with me killing her character after she got the rest of the party killed. Thank goodness. Um, we all cheered for you. Yes. Just the look on his face. I was playing a, an assassin that was built all around crit damage, so it was a legendary with the poisons, the three saving throws. You know, when I hit you, odds are if I set up the, the crit right, you're you're saving against the poison, you're saving against a death attack, and then you're saving against massive damage. And and just sliding that over the table to Tony and just remember him looking at the note and looking at me and just shaking his head no as I'm shaking my head yes. And uh, I remember you said I'm studying her for this round. And he's like, no, no, don't. <laughs> and she had no idea what was coming. Yeah. The, uh, just as much of a uh, war stories aside as this is, to, to appreciate what happened, we were, we had to, we're, it was a dragon hunting campaign, and we had to go help a good dragon defeat an evil dragon, even though we were an evil party that, up until she showed up, we had worked together as an evil party. Like, we understood the nature of the team. And as we're going into this area, we're trying to stealth in, they find, we find a baby who is left alive. It's like, well, I'm an evil character. Let's just boop. And she's like, no, let's take it with us. Made no sense. She picks up the baby. We go. Yeah. So we get up there. We're, we're down a party member because Drew got stuck on, on something silly earlier. And then we see the red dragon. The red dragon is sleeping. What is like? I sneak past it. It wakes up. But then what is what is her decision? It's like, all right, I see the dragon who's 100 feet away from me. So I'm first going to throw the baby at Yeah. Like what? And then I'm going to pull up my jerk and get down and just start diddling myself. And I just remember, like, all of us sitting at the table looking at this, like... What? Yeah, huh? Exactly. And, and then yeah. she betrays the party, and, and ultimately her betrayal, I, I was able to one-shot slice her head off. And, and that was pretty much oh, the end of, of, of that game. And then after that, we had started up uh, the other game where uh, I was running it, four players, uh, friend Tom, Drew... Who we'll be talking about in an upcoming session. Drew's Drew, the legendariness of Drew as the asshole is going to get his own session. Um, uh, and it was you, and it was Jeff. And you know, we started playing, and there were some like we played in the store sometimes. We played uh, in your basement for a while um, because I yeah. still remember the, the day we show up, and there's all these pizzas and whatnot, and your wife coming downstairs. Have you told them yet? Um, but it's forever etched in my mind because you, you bought Pizza Hut and a whole bunch of Pizza Hut. The day that she was going to have you tell us you couldn't play anymore. Oh. <laughs> I, that, yeah. that's, and I, I re- part of it was part of it was just life-changing in general. Yeah. Uh, part of it, as I learned over the years, um, it was an interesting thing for those of us who are not married. You know, the wives always tended to feel a little bit weird about us. And like I, I think over time I'd proven myself as a good person. Yeah. And then there was Drew. And like I said, we'll save that for the future because oh dear God. Like he was never bad for me though. I mean, my wife liked all all you guys. You just you know, a little weird. He, but he didn't try to drive your car into a doctor's no, office. He but, didn't. Uh, different once again, different story. Um, so thinking about that time, because we had we had campaigned for you know, over two years at that point. It, it, we because we're going one to twenty. We we built up in every other week. Yeah. People were regularly there, with the exception of the occasional scheduling conflict, which ultimately led to the the party because you and Tom weren't there that session. Um, you know, we had a, a pretty solid run, and then what what was the impetus? Because at some point, I I have to imagine this was not a sudden thing. I have to assume the wife was pointing out the realities of life at some point and saying, "Listen, this, you know, reality is changing." Yeah. 
Um, what it was is my daughter finally she got into softball, and she wanted to get into it at a high level. And my youngest daughter, um, when she was ten, and she got on a, on a pretty good team, and then there was a coaching turnover that like right after that summer. And they came to me and said, you know, we want Paige to continue, but we'd also like you to coach um, because we we don't want this team to break up. And right now there's only two coaches. So it was make a decision of do I keep my daughter playing sports at a high level? And basically my summers are, are all done and part of my falls too. Um, or, you know, do I keep gaming? <laughs> yeah. And that choice was, ob- was obvious, you know, families... Family's always first. Family first. I mean, they, so. I think every every good human being will say you made the right choice yeah. from a personally selfish position. No, you didn't. Yeah, but yeah. everybody else, I you know, we we can't argue the choice. But I do remember telling you that it's not a forever choice. Yes. And like you know, Just here we are now, eight years about, later. Right. We're about a we're about a year and a half, maybe two years away from. Hey, I've got that time again. Let me know when when you're starting some up. So. Yeah. It's it's playing a long game, I know, but now we just got to get Tom to move back, and we're good. Yeah, right. Uh, we'll, we'll start. We got two years to figure out that plan. <laughs> so with that, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that there was a social aspect of the gaming. I mean, there was the, the the clever aspect. There was a chance to, in essence, sometimes vent the frustrations you wouldn't otherwise get to vent. I mean, the, the Colonel Sanders incident. I think was the where you you were on this plantation and it was an evil guy, but you needed to cross his land and he was demonstrating his how evil he was by slapping his his uh, human property. And you told him don't do that, and he did it again. And then the <laughs> catchphrase, I rage, I rage. Yeah, and Carl That's, Sanders got uh, fricasseed. He was done. He was he was done very quickly. You know, it's funny. That was the first barbarian character I ever played. And I remember talking to Drew, I believe it was, and he said, "Just rage at everything." He's like, "Don't." That's what that's what barbarians do. They get angry, like the Hulk. So every time we were in a conversation in a store, whatever, and I and I thought something wasn't going my way, I rage. Now it might not have been appropriate. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it was it was kind of like, all right, I got you know keys to this this big machine here that's going to tear things up. Let's see what I can do. Let's see how it benefits me. And it didn't always work out, but that was well, how I that's how I learned. Yeah, but the, the good news is the glow plugs were already warm. That diesel was always ready to go. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, it was always interesting to watch because the as over time, you know, the assumption was Tom the cleric was yeah. the moral compass. Yeah, until the end. And, and <laughs> as, you, as, as we went on, whenever big decisions showed up, it turned out Tom was not the moral compass. Dale the Barbarian was the moral compass. I was more of a good guy than the cleric, yeah. And it, <laughs> it was interesting to see because I, I I think of the meta of how people play their characters. Yeah. Right? With When I think of Jeff, where he was in life, and this was his chance to just do anything, which he, he didn't really have a lot of opportunities to do at the time. Um. Drew was always an, uh, an asshole. This is a common phrase. Drew is an asshole. Uh, his, his, when his son is on, you'll hear his son talk about how his dad's an asshole. Uh, there, but there was always the, he really, he was not someone who ever controlled much in his life. And so you'd see that bleed over. Drew was one that wouldn't mind seeing the world burn. 
you know, they're like they say, yeah. it, it, there's Dark some night, people yep. that, that want to watch the world burn. And Drew, in a fantasy world, was that guy. If the world burned, he'd laugh. That would be fine. Especially if he could, you know, as he would say, I didn't, I never lit the match. It's like you just had the gunpowder yeah. right next to the orphanage, right? Right. That was Drew. Like, and, and the thing was, is we had different, our backgrounds were different in this. When I was 16, 17, I had my first character with, with some you know strange group of people I didn't know. And we played one campaign, and then we graduated high school, and we were all done. We kind of went our separate ways. He got older and had to go to work. So that was it. Then it was years later, and I get to play another campaign. Then we get to, you know, years later, and then this is like campaign three or four for me, where Drew was playing two or three a week. So yep. if this world burns, I got backup worlds that I'm in. I know with this group of people, whatever. This was it for me. Like yep. this was the longest campaign I've ever been in. This was my most the, the the most fun I'd had with a character. It was more important for me to see this through the end the right way than it was for Drew to see it to the end the right way because eh, I got other campaigns going. You could just start over. It was he treated it disposably. And I, I think about the, the choices in life that people have to get there. Uh, thankfully, the audio tool will bloop all that out. Okay. Uh, and when I when I look at uh, just the history of Drew in there uh, and where he came from, and, and ultimately the it leads into a discussion about why we play uh, and how what people were at home. And they kind of brought to the table where it was a, I get a chance to do these things, but why I'm doing those things kind of came through. Like, Drew Drew, Drew got to control the chaos, which he didn't get to do. Yeah. And Tom, like, Tom is a, a social worker, case manager. He takes care of people in, in need. And when he was playing a cleric, like, there's a little bit of a reflection with that, but I think that the times when morality kind of shifted... Right, was his chance to just to do what he can't do in real life, which is simply say, screw it. I can yeah. be selfish right now. I'm going yeah. to do it. Uh, and, you know, with I, not knowing... I remember where, where you were working at the time, right? And it seemed very organized, and I have no idea what the, the environment from a cultural standpoint was like. So when you came in, you got to rage and smash things like it. Yeah, it didn't feel like you were venting from the from the week, right? This was right. just a chance to, to do stuff. Whereas I, I'm running a game right now with somebody who uses this as an opportunity to vent and, like as Drew liked to watch the world burn, Drew at least had an understanding of the rules in a way to that he viewed to do it constructively. This other player has actively worked against the party in multiple mm. campaigns. Yeah, and nearly screwed up the end of our red hand of doom almost on purpose-ish but I like I'm I get to not judge because I wasn't the DM in that game so with with that life life hits life changes your daughter is going to I don't know any big female softball superstar so I she's going to be the next uh, non like uh, Ken Griffey Jr. he never juiced right she's going to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. So now this this changes, and how do how do hobbies change, and how does the release that you you would get the enjoyment that you would get from from doing that gaming then evolve at that point? 
Well, I, I would have to assume, like, we also played Magic at the time, Magic yeah. the Gathering. Yeah. And I, I have to assume there was a drop-off in that, too, because as much as yeah. they had the online stuff, uh, it wasn't what it is today. Well, with sports, it, it's a big financial sink as well. And Magic, D&D is a time commitment that I just couldn't give on a week, week-to-week basis, month-to-month. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a very little financial input, which was good because my money was going to sports, but the, the the time couldn't be there. Magic was the other way around. It was a big financial thing, but the time wasn't as much because games were quick. You you know you could they didn't chain into each other. So you, one week didn't matter what you did the next week. If you skip for two or three weeks, come back, it start over. It was it was nice, but then the money started to become a problem because Magic is always new sets, new things. Get four of this, four of that. And it, it just became very expensive, and I couldn't do that anymore either. Um, I still had that itch, though, to game. And where it went was board games. Board game is a, a financial one-time deal, and then now you've got the game to play, and it's a small set of time that you get to play, and you're done. You don't go over weeks, months, whatever, years. And uh, that was kind of where it ended up going. Um, now I board game all the time. Uh, I do that a lot when I can. And granted, time commitment still, but um, that's that's where my gaming tendencies have gone because it's less time, less money. Um, and going to Gen Con every other year or every two years, whatever, um, just because that's where you can pick up a lot of good board games and, and stuff and uh, have a weekend of just that is a lot of fun. But sports... Sometimes stops that too, depending on when Gen Con is. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of how it's it shifted. I do miss D and D. We played over Christmas two years ago, I believe it was, or around Christmas. Uh, it was it was, years? God, it was more than a couple years ago. Was it at this point? Because remind you, COVID's been basically a year and a half, almost two years. Yeah, now. that part of my life is just go- a black hole. It's yeah. just gone. So it was so it, maybe like three years ago, three it, four. It's, it's been a while. Nice little one shot that that brought everybody to the table, and we can yeah. do something clever for one one go. Very memory serves. It was like a, a knockoff idea of the forty seven Ronin, but it was it was nice yeah. to get everybody there, nice and easy, chance to be social. Um, for me, like my neighbors are thrilled. Weirdly enough, my neighbors are thrilled when the gaming guys come over because I I live and work at home, so they're worried I'm going to be one of those nutballs on the news maybe or oh, whatnot. Right? Okay. So it's like he's talking to people. He is social. <laughs> we have nothing to worry about. It's like, yes, we're, we're okay. Um, so it, it then becomes interesting because I remember the first time you, you're talking about Gen Con. It's like, I'm going to go do Gen Con and whatnot. It's like, okay, well, that's cool. It's like, and I'm taking the family with me. Yeah. And that for me was like the record scratch. Like, I'm sorry, run that by me again. What was that like the first time you took them to Gen Con? And in essence, well, kind of brought them into your gaming world. Yes. So I'd gone to Gen Con before. And then my wife said, what is this Gen Con thing? And she's not a gamer at all. And I said, well, this is what it's about. And... When I told her about the market, the big store area, and about there's other things other than games to do there, crafts and different stuff, she became interested and was like, you know, I kind of want to see this. It's, you guys talk about it all the time. I'm interested. I'm curious. 
And I said, well, we can do a vacation of this. And I'm thinking, this is my way to get this all the time because instead of having to you know, pass this bill through Congress every year, I've, I get a free pass because I'm bringing everybody. And when I get there, I can be like, see you later. You know, because I'm going to be over here in the gaming stuff, and she's going to be shopping, if you will, or you know, doing whatever. And and that's kind of how it did go down. Um, and because then, then my daughter's like, "Well, what is this about?" And so I, I told them about it. And it's interesting because you know, two daughters into a male-dominated area, basically in gaming, um, it made me a little nervous of how this was going to go down, how they were going to be received. And they actually took to different things. Um, my oldest daughter really liked the way people were just kind of accepting of anybody. It didn't matter what they were like. Um, you know, disabilities, race, color, religion, what they were. You know, you'd be a furry. You could be a, you know, a guy in a suit. It, it didn't matter. Everybody gets sets at the table and plays a game. And they're all equal at that point. You know, everybody starts the same. She really hooked on to that and really started to like that. Not necessarily the gaming part of it, but just being around people, more of a social type thing. She really likes that. My youngest daughter really liked the crafting of stuff. You know, look at this chainmail, you know, coif that, that somebody made. That's really interesting with all those little chains, you know, and, and how all the different painting, you know, how painting miniatures and how beautiful they are. And, and the, the, the art that was there, the gallery. And she really liked looking at that stuff. And she played a few games, real light ones, though. Um, and my, my wife enjoyed walking through and just seeing people and, and shopping and, you know, seeing different, you know, what's for sale and, and just the big hubbub. So we've actually gone twice, and our third time will be next year. Um, and they all look forward to it. it. It's funny because, you know, we, we have our choice between Disney World or Gen Con. Now that the kids are older, Disney World is is cool, but let's do Gen Con, you know, and, and they all agree. And I was like, really a surprise, really, really loving that they kind of like the world that I enjoy a little differently than I do. I want to sit down and I want to game for four hours and hardcore get into a, a real strategy thinking type game. That's not them, but yep. they'll meet me later, <laughs> right? They can enjoy their themselves there. And they'll meet me later for dinner, and we all have stories to tell, and we all enjoy what we what we saw and, and the costumes and and it, it's you know my the last time we went, my oldest daughter um, dressed in full costume for the first two days of the of the con. I have never she won't even go out for Halloween, but she dressed in full costume because you know what everybody is accepting, and she wanted to be part of that group, and you know kudos to her, and you know that's that's why I love Gen Con is because it. It does foster that acceptance. You know, you got a lot of people in a small area, and everybody gets along. And when you're raising kids to to think that way, to not judge by whatever anything, you know, it's really cool to see that this helped. Um, that and we all can have a good time at something like this. Um, that's a little more nerdy, dorky, geeky, whatever you want to call it, but. You know, we invited somebody who was a real big jock, not geeky at all, nerdy, whatever. Um, and it was a friend, you know, fourteen-year-old girl, thirteen-year-old girl, and she comes with my youngest daughter, and they go, and she had a great time, and she told her mom and dad all about this, and they're like, "Wow, that seems weird." It is, but it's weird in a good way. Yep. And and so she liked it too, and she might go back. So you know, it, it's kind of a an interesting thing because. You know, it, it really helped form my girls 
to be very accepting of, of a lot of different types of people because that is a lot of different types of people in a small area. And when you get to know them, there's a lot of good people in that at Gen Con. And that's how, you know, when you leave, I said, look at all the charities that benefited from Gen Con. You know, these people give. You know, these people are good people. You know, you lose something, they'll they'll find and give it back to you. It's not going to walk away. Yeah. You know, these are, for the most part, you're not, you don't, you don't feel unsafe. You know, you're, you're not worried about somebody pulling a gun and shooting a place up. These people are all there to have fun, just like you. It's a very different feeling with a lot of people that you don't always get with a lot of people. You know, you go to a concert, it's not always the same thing. Or a stadium full of people at a sporting event, it's not always that way. You know, you got 40,000 people, 20,000 people, whatever it is at, at the con, and, and you feel a lot more safe and comfortable because these are good people. And that was nice to see my kids really enjoy that that part of it and and grow up and wanting to go back because um, you never know. You know, they might just shun me for being, you know, a dork and, and it's like, oh, is my dad the dork? And it's like, no, you know, my dad is a dork, but it's not a bad thing. You know, yeah. we, we, those are good people. And so that was cool. That, that's, that was a really good thing that came out of it. I, I, I like the stories of that because anybody I've talked to who has gone to Gen Con uh, has talked about that acceptance. Unless they were really stupid and like there was a time, you remember Jack, we played magic with mm-hmm. him. Yeah. He was a time he went there and he was sick and they opened the door while they were driving down I-65 so he oh. could throw up and start bonking his head on the freeway at 65 oh, miles geez. an hour. He survived. He's a pharmacist. He's taking care of people in Arizona, I think yeah. it is. Um, but the, the, the response has always been positive. No matter where you are on whatever spectrum in the world, people seem to, to really like it. Now, I've never been to Indianapolis. I went to it when I was up here. Uh, and for me, the bigger part was everything I've heard is the city of Indianapolis is very accepting and welcoming mm-hmm. about this. Very. The city of Milwaukee... Was not so much. Every year before Gen Con, the Journal Sentinel would run the, you know, the dorks are descending lookout yeah. thing. It's like, yeah, and they wonder why it left. Um, but it's it's nice to hear that there was something that the family could get out of that, which could help transmission or transmit a, a that the normalization of some of these things that we're not shoeboxed into the you're this type of person from this type of upbringing, so you you have to, you know, you you wear the polo shirts on the weekends, you go to the Brewers games. Right, you, you you only grill out and only cook brats and burgers like that. That kind of shoeboxing that has existed for decades. Well, it also gave my wife insight to the people that I hang around with. You know, when I want to, when I want to go back and I and I want to game with Ed and friends, um, she knew that there was nothing to worry about. Right, you know, because there's always that unknown of oh, you know what what are they doing? What is D and D? What is you know what? What kind of weird guys are there? Is he hanging around with? Um, she got to see what this is all about. I mean, it's people just there to have fun and act odd, and you know, and and just kind of live through vicariously through a character, or just you know, play a board game or whatever, and have fun. And at the end, shake hands and walk away, win or lose, whatever. But you know, boy, enjoy the moment, enjoy the story that's going to come from this. And and she's accepted. That okay, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. This is this is a hobby, and there's there are people we know that look down upon me for this. Um, they think less of you because you game as a hobby, and 
I, I don't understand that because, you know, some people garden, some people work on cars, some people collect stamps. Everybody's got their own release of, you know, getting away from reality. I game. It's what I do. And my wife seen has seen now into that world and said, okay, that's not a bad thing. You know, he's not going out and getting drunk. He's not, you know, get, causing trouble. He's not cheating on me. He's just sitting around with a bunch, bunch of people that, you know, even if there's women there, you don't have to worry about them. Yep. We're here for gaming. That's what we're here for, not anything else. There's no other undertones or anything else. This is why we're here. And when we're done, we're done. We we, we go off and you know we'll come back later. But um, much easier than to be able to get acceptance from her to be able to say, okay, hon, next weekend I'm going to spend my Saturday doing this. And when I say Saturday, it's from you know early more late morning until probably late at night. You know, it's going to be a long chunk of time. Um, She's okay with that because it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go out and hang with the girls. We're going to drink at a, you know, someplace, whatever. And that's how she's going to do her thing and I'm going to do mine. And, hey, that's cool. And, and you know, when we first started dating and, and we first married, it wasn't that way. I mean, it was what she didn't know anybody who did this. And it was it was a little scary. And, and Gen Con, I really bridged that gap of acceptance. So that, it, it, I can't. Never say anything bad about Gen Con. It's always been a real positive. The, the, the exposure factor, I think, helps. It's the, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yeah. When, when I look back at, at the things I've taken away from gaming in life, I, I had a weird conversation with my mother about this. Because when I was a kid, and it was always, why are you spending this? You're never going to use this in life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she, she knows that I've got, I've got the gaming on Saturday evenings and... And she's like, well, I'm glad you're getting something out of this. And I said, well, Mom, part of my job is based on this. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what? Because like, like my part of my job is twice a year I have to run, uh, as, as an incident responder, information security specialist, I have to run tabletop events for the company. Mm. For what if this bad thing happens, what do we do? Now, we're not breaking out dice and miniatures or anything yeah. like that, but we're... We talk through this event happens, and I basically have to play Dungeon Master for a, a very sizable company to, to work with the executives and senior leadership that, all right, if this happens, what do we do? If this happens, what do we do? And it's, it's one of the parts of my job that gets me visibility amongst people with C's in their titles, that they see this is what it is. And when I see how a lot of other places do these tabletop events, there's a clear reason that people really like what I put on every year. And that's because I have I have been a dungeon master for 26 years. Mm-hmm. So potentially older than some of the people will be listening to this. Uh, and, and that has built up in such a way where it's become integral to my life, not just from a, I can be social, I can let things out, I get to be creative. It's... Tabletops specifically at work, but there's a lot of things with the creativity and the storytelling and the communication that have helped presentation skills that this directly translates into value, uh, like actual cash paycheck value. Yeah. And I, I shared this with my mother, and she's just like, huh, I guess we shouldn't have rode you all those years. Right. To which I, I very kindly and lovingly said, yeah, think. <laughs> well, and you're, you hit on it. The communication and the presentation skills of a DM, to, when, when you get a good DM, that is really how they tell the story, how they communicate to a lot of different people in different backgrounds. Um, 
that is valuable when you have to now go and work on a team because now I'm in, I'm in charge of a project and I've got to communicate and you know draw things or, or whatever it is. You have that background of okay, I know how to do this, and it's it's, it's the same thing. Um, so yeah, that that is real helpful. I know we, we we've had instances at work where I've had to lead projects, and it, it is not much different when you get a bunch of people that sitting there looking at you with blank faces, going, "Okay, now what do we do?" Well, I've been here before. Let me start. You know, let yep. let's get this group going and get you down the path, and then all of a sudden they blossom into. Oh, okay. And then they go, and then it just kind of, it, it's its own living thing. But that is definitely a, a bonus of, of D&D, and not just D&D, but just getting together and, you know, because D&D is a small part of it. There's other things, too, that do similar stuff. You know, like Werewolf is a big group thing. Yep. You know, stuff like that where you, you kind of, my kids were very shy when they were growing up. And then you get into this and you realize it is fun when you work with people. So now they're not as afraid to go out and work with strangers doing this stuff because they've seen that it's, it's the end is not a bad thing. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. It can be. So it is a, it is a good, a good way to try to kind of come over some of that bashfulness and shyness in a little more relaxed setting, because when you get to work and you got to start doing it on purpose, you know, like you're forced into this, I've seen where that you get it, you get the wrong group of people and they just don't want to talk and nobody wants to lead and nothing happens. Yep, you get the with a lot of these projects, especially in in the IT part of the world. Whenever you bring something up to the business and especially especially doubly with security, if you have to do something that's going to change a process, change how they do things, just anything like that, you are immediately going to meet resistance. And a lot of these skills I see, whether it's D&D, whether it's board games, or anything that's done in a group, a lot of it is learning how to take people who are intransient and make them collaborative so yeah. you can get to the finish line. Uh, like my, my big example, I think back to when I worked at a, a small community bank. Um, and in banking, they, they have money for a lot of these IT things that other places don't because they make money. Yeah. But a lot of it is we need to do something and we need to get people involved to help us out because I can, I can show them what to do from a security standpoint, but they actually have to do it. And the story I remember goes from my first time at a change board to the last day I was there at a change board. And the first time I came in, all I wanted to do was change a report that most of these people weren't looking at anyway. <laughs> you had two people who were just, these are the sticks in the mud. They are going to say no. And so as they're going through everything else, and then I have a security thing. We're updating this report. And have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? All things that had nothing to do with the report, just to, to get it to poo-poo. Fast forward seven months later at a place where like the cultures are usually very ingrained and there's always clicks and people don't want to work together. My boss, who was really unhappy I was leaving, uh, had a project like this project is going to be giant, it's going to be impactful, it's going to hit everybody. You take it through the change board. Like, so I, I put together a game and a plan and I, I respect this woman very much, but it's clear she wanted to see me just take one on the chin on the way out, knowing full well that these two people were going to just demolish this. So I come in, I'm the last one to go, 
and I talk, I explain what this is, I explain the impact, this is how we're going to route around this, this is what I need from you, this is what we've talked, we're willing to work with this. Here is this really impactful plan that is going to be done by somebody who isn't even me, because I will be gone. So does anybody have any objections? And there were crickets. And she's looking around, she's like, you, you guys don't have a problem with this? Like, no, it's Eddie, he's got it taken care of. And, like, her brain just started leaking out of her ears. Like, she's about to blow up like the guy at the end of Razor's Lost Ark. And, and she came to me later and she said, how? It's, I, I understood what their concerns were and found a way to bring them into the mix, right? I didn't, the advantage of being an outsider is I didn't have to care about the culture and the cliques and whatnot. I could work with people. I could get them engaged and, and show them this is collaborative. Yeah. And it, it went from no to absolutely everything else to we we trust you to restructure the national debt by yourself. Wow. And it, it this is, I'm fortunate I've done this a couple of times, but I, I direct this back to D&D where you're trying to, you know, you're hurting cats. Everybody comes to the table for a different reason. Yes, we're all playing the game, but why we play, uh, which usually is affected by what's going on in life, causes... You know, in essence, all the elements just keep crashing into each other until something's out on top and people burn out. So keeping them all engaged over time has led to just amazing outcomes that people look at me. And this, what happened in that job has happened repeatedly throughout my career where it's like, well, this person's going to say no to whatever. It's like, well, they're walking past a conference room. Like, Mark, come in here. Hey, I need to do this thing. I need one of your boxes to do it. Uh, this is my time frame. When can we get? When can I? This Saturday, good. He's like, yeah, you're all set. He'd walk away, and everybody in the room would look at me as if I hypnotized the guy. It's like, no, this. You, if you understand dealing with the cats, like these skills actually translate into life. Yeah, uh, and it's it's one of those. Once again, looking back, people would not have connected those dots because it's a lot of these things. You think of competition and working against each other it's like no these you can do collaborative things and when when those start happening and the dominoes keep falling it becomes real easy to do stuff like that yeah the, another example with my job um with board games there's always a set of rules that you have to read to the group and everybody's got to understand them to know how to play the game how to score it what everything does i was always the rules guy so i would read the rules to Whoever's playing, make sure everybody understood, you know, here's how we final score, whatever. My job, I work with the post office, and they have a 100, 200-page manual of all the rules for mail. I can tell you there's very few people in this world that want to delve into that and know the back front, you know, ins and outs of the domestic mail manual from the United States Post Office. I do. It's like a set of rules, just, you know, it's very similar. My job now is, part of it is based on being able to interpret that just on the fly to anybody in our company. You know, I get people from all over the country, um, in Poland, Mexico, they'll email me, call me, text me. Okay, I got this. Can I mail it? What can I do? And it, I don't blame them for not trying to look it up because, you know, it's it's a lot, but... I'm, I've always been the rules guy, and this fits that perfectly. So I actually, you know, am the rules guy at work, you know, but it's the rules of the post office, not the rules of the board games. But it's, it's funny how, how that ends up being, you know, how you find a, a spot in life where it kind of 
fits your personality or fits what you do. And it you go back to gaming and you're like, wow, this is just like work. It's not work, but these skills that I'm using at work, I'm using here too of how, you know, how this works. How can I do this? Can I not? Here's why. You know, here's the rule for this. And you got to try to remember all this stuff. And it, it's just something that comes naturally to me. And I, and I, and I do very well. And, and now I get paid for it. So that's you know that's a plus and and that's you know it's a skill i picked up just you know with all the gaming that i do um and you know you you enjoy doing that while you're gaming so when you go to work somebody's like you know i don't want to bother you i'm like you're not bothering me this is this isn't a problem you just ask me a question i know the rules go ahead you know and uh they're real they're real thankful because they don't have to go spend the time digging through this and looking through 100 pages of, of stuff because you've done it enough you've memorized it and you know, and then everybody goes away happy, and it's it, it's it's a nice feeling to be able to to be that person to to you know have that knowledge. Um, but it, it is it is very much so in gaming. My gaming group that I board game with is they just pass me the rules on any new game. <clears throat> Here you go. We know you like this. We know you're the guy. Here you go. We'll just you tell me how to do this. And so yeah, it, it's it, they, everybody knows my role now. When we board game, I'm the rules guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, it works out in some cases. The problem is at the D and D table, everybody knows my role. You're the DM. Yes, I can play every now and again, but as a character, where I don't have to worry about everything else. But I, uh, some things you just take in stride. It means I get to play, and I get to choose who sits at my table. But that's a that's true. Completely different uh, different discussion right there. All right. Well, this has been really cool. Thank you for being here for this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I mean, going down memory lane, talking about gaming, I, I enjoy it. You know, I, I look forward to being able to to do it again in the capacity I did when I was when I was younger. You know, when when life allows. When, um, when life allows. But that's that's coming up soon. I, I keep telling everybody, hey, it's it's my life is going to change and. Um, it's hard to give up something, you know. It's hard to give up gaming, as much as I did to be able to be more into sports with my kids and and do do things with them. But when they move on, that's a big hole that's now there that I know gaming will be there to fill, and I look forward to that. I'm not afraid of an empty nest now. Um, I know that I'll have as much filling as I can I can handle <laughs> with friends and 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 games and stuff. So. You know, it is not something I fear now. It's something I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that next, that different phase of my life. So that's that's kind of cool. It's not too far away. All right. Well, once again, thank you for stopping by, Dale. Yeah. My friend Dale, I'm, I'm thrilled, and I'm really looking forward to two years from now. I'm not going to get me one of those little tear-off calendars just yet. Not but yet. Give it a year. We'll see. Um, this was Episode 4 of the Exodus of Magic podcast. This is Dungeon Master Eddie, and we were talking about life, life in gaming, and how the meta stage of life affects gaming and how gaming affects life. Uh, looking forward to uh, the next episode, or in episode five, we're talking to my buddy Caleb uh, about what it's like joining a new group, because as, as we talked with Dale, when Dale left the table, because life happened, Caleb was the one who took that spot and had to come into an established group that had been playing for years. And we're going to get to hear his take on what that was like uh, coming up in the next episode. Thank you.